As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 3. On this Memorial Day, we're going to start in Philippians. Uh, we'll look into Romans, Second uh, Peter, a little bit of Matthew. Uh, but really, as we focus on this morning, this Memorial Day weekend, our dual citizenship in Christ Jesus. I mean, it's our Memorial Day when you have to realize that there was an amazing sacrifice paid for us to enjoy the freedom, the privileges of being an American. But more importantly, every day as a Christian, we celebrate the sacrifice of God's own Son that gives us the daily freedom, the amazing freedom, the ultimate freedom of forgiveness of sins and uh, the freedom to live our lives as God has intended them to be lived. And so there's where we find ourselves in this dual citizenship. The Bible says that if we are in Christ Jesus, that we actually have a place with God. Isn't that good news? The amazing thing about a loving, gracious God is this. Through the work of his son, we have the rights of heaven. A citizenship there, a place there, a place in the family, a place home. And God wants to continually remind us that are his, that our citizenship is in heaven. So what does that mean about earth? Let's look to God's word. Uh, Philippians 3, we're going to look at just one verse to begin with. Philippians 3, 20. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to us. And he wants to remind us of who we are in Christ. And he says this in Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, those words are amazing words. Can it be true? Can your grace be that great? Can the work of your son be that magnificent? Can the power of your spirit be that empowering that we, sinful people by nature, can be made fit for God and fit for heaven? And that we can be declared by a holy God that we belong to him. And we belong where he is. And that even now, even now, we have a citizenship in heaven. Holy Spirit, come. Come and tell us what this means today. Oftentimes, it sounds like it's really good for that day when our heart stops beating. But what does it mean for us now, today, tonight, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives? Come and be teacher. Give us ears to hear your voice Minds to understand your word. Hearts to embrace your love. And feet that are empowered to walk in your truth. Anything that I say that's just my opinion or wrong, may that be forgotten and fall away quickly. But what is said that is true and contains the good news of Jesus Christ, use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his powerful and holy name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, I had the privilege of uh, traveling to Europe, and if uh, you've been there, it's pretty amazing, because you may or may not know this, but Europeans really see Americans different than we see ourselves. They have a completely different view of us, uh, a completely different uh, view of how to necessarily live our lives. It's amazing, oftentimes you feel like 
compose, uh, competing worldviews. I think I saw this the most clearly when I watched the news. Uh, I was in Europe and I clicked on the news, the world news there. As a matter of fact, it happened to be CNN. But just watching the news, I felt like, man, I'm not home. I mean, the way that these stories are unfolding and the way that's being portrayed, it felt so foreign to me. I mean, it was news. Isn't news news? And yet, even just hearing news, I realized I was far from home. And I was realizing that there is a completely different worldview or mindset than I have. They seem to see the world completely different. God's given me the privilege of maybe going on a mission trip to Asia. And I realize it's not just Europeans, but it seems like from where you are, there's a specific home field advantage that allows you to see the world through those lenses. Does that not make sense? And I know that we as Americans see the world a certain way, but you realize very quickly that there's others out there that see it completely different. Can you imagine being a dual citizen? I always thought it was cool. I grew up fairly close to Canada, so most of the people with dual citizenships were Canadian. They maybe were born in Canada, or they had this both American and Canadian citizenship. But I think about those in another place. I think if you had a dual citizenship, I think the question that would always plague you is, which citizenship do you favor? Which one do you live your life through? I mean, which one has the right way of seeing the world? Well, we just read God's word. It says that, that we have a citizenship in heaven. And that really, we should be asking the question, how does that affect the way we live? Uh, how does that affect the way we think? I mean, we have been given, we celebrated this Memorial Day weekend. We have been given an amazing citizenship for those of us who are citizens of this country. But it's so pale. It's so pale in comparison to this amazing citizenship that God gives us through his son, a citizenship of heaven. So how do we live as dual citizens? You're going to find an outline for you in the bulletin. It's a little bit more detailed today. I think today we got some really good practical stuff to wrestle with. And we're going to look at just really two things. How do we be a good citizen of earth? How do we be a good citizen here? Uh, For those of us who are Americans, maybe how do we be a good citizen of America? It's important for us to know it. Why? Because God's word says a lot about it. But also, how are we going to be a good citizen of heaven? Let's start off with this one. Being a good citizen of earth. It might surprise you uh, what God's word has to say about this. But let's turn to the book of Romans. um, This letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. We're going to turn to Romans 13. And we're going to read the first seven verses of Romans 13. When we're thinking about this, think about this, put on that hat. How do I be a good citizen of earth? Um, And here's what God's word has to say to us in Romans 13, 1 through 7. It says this, let every person be subject to the governed authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear to the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Pretty interesting, isn't it? That's pretty interesting what God's word has to say to us about being a good citizen. Let's, let's break that down a little bit. The first thing is this, be in submission. God has called us to be in a submission to the authority of those over us. Even, listen to this. Even when we think they don't deserve it. Be in submission. It doesn't say this. Be in submission when you have a good fill-in-the-blank type party president in the Oval Office. It doesn't say that. It says, what authority you have over you, your call as a child of God is to be in submission. And you say, well, wait a minute. What if they don't deserve it? I love the fact. Who's in power when Paul's writing this? I mean, who's the emperor? Who, who's, who's the one who's got the authority? It's Nero. I mean, this is not a good guy. This, this is not somebody that, that Paul had an easy way of saying, we'll submit to. So I think that Americans oftentimes will get a little out of accord saying, I'll submit to the ones I vote for, or I'll submit to the ones I agree with. I'll support the ones that have the same worldview that I have. But that's not what God's word says. God's word says for us, we got to see all authority as God's authority. And I'm going to have a long conversation with him someday about some of the authority he's let go, let be raised up. I don't know why, but I know his ways are better than my ways. I know he's a lot smarter than me. And so we got to realize as Christians, our call is to be under authority um, to uh, those who are in power. Isn't it really cool that our gracious, loving God doesn't say blow up authority that you don't like? Isn't it amazing that our God is not this God of a jihad that will say, take out those that you don't agree with? This God, who's the ultimate God, ultimate control, says, put yourself under their authority. I think we also got to look at, as citizens of this country, you have a vote. Your vote costs a lot to get. Use your vote. As Americans, we should vote. We should vote uh, as Christians. We should be very active in this great process that we have. But you've got to remember, this is so important. Our hope, are you listening, church? Our hope is not in a regime change. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and his gospel. That's the only hope for the world. It's the only hope for our community, the only hope for our state, the only hope for our country, the only hope for our world is Jesus' kingdom coming. That's our hope. It seems like sometimes as citizens of earth, we get so sideways with different regimes that we put our hope in a party that's going to come make change. Now, here's what God's word is saying to us. Be good citizens. Exercise your vote. But don't let that be your hope. Your hope should be in Christ Jesus alone. I love what Jesus gives us an amazing model. Uh, he submitted himself to authority, first and foremost, his father. He submitted himself to the authorities on earth. He didn't always do it without expressing concern. I mean, I love that he got in, into the authority's face at times, respectfully spoke truth and love. And I think that's where we got to be as well. Be a good citizen, be in submission. The next one is this, do good. 
Katie's favorite scripture verse, my wife Katie, is Psalm 37.3. It's one of her favorites. It's an awesome one. It says this, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Now, here's some really good news for everybody who's here this morning. I got to tell you, scripture says do good. But I got to tell you, the truth is this. You only have to do good to those who deserve it. You do. It's true, Patty. You only have to do good to who deserves it. So who, the question is, who deserves it? Here's the deal. Anybody you meet who is the image of God, anybody you meet who reflects the image of God, no matter what country they're from, no matter what state they are in, uh, no matter what color they are, and no matter what party politically they are, here's the reality God's, God's calling his people. Do good to my image, because you know what? They deserve it. Because no matter who they are, they do reflect me in my glory. And so do good to those who are in my image. Those are the only ones. Got you a little bit, didn't I? Second one is this. Do good to creation that has his fingerprints on it. Do good to that which has his fingerprints on it. What, what doesn't he have his fingerprints on? It's all things. I mean, we're to be good, too good. Uh, do good and, and be good stewards of his creation. Um, be a good citizen and do good. How about this next one? In verses 6 and 7, it says, a good citizen pays taxes. Are you kidding me? Well, I love what Jesus said when they were trying to trick him. The Pharisees, the religious people of his day, said, all right, do we pay taxes or not? I mean, he knew that these Romans, man, they were a mess. And he knew that their tax dollars were squandered. He knew that they used tax dollars on things that they didn't believe in. He knew that the tax dollars was abused oftentimes. And those who collected abused the people who, were, who were, they were supposed to receive it from. And Jesus, I mean, just amazingly blows people out of the water and still does today when he was asked that question that was supposed to expose him. He says, now let me see a coin. Uh, whose who's picture is on this? Whose image is on this? Well, it's Caesar's. Well, here's the deal, Jesus says. Why don't you render, give to Caesar what's due Caesar, but give to God what is due God. In other words, pay taxes. But there's something so much cooler than that. He asks for a coin and he looks at it and he says, whose picture's on it? Whose image? And he says, because of that image of Caesar, there's something owed to him. But do you know what he was really saying? Whose image is on you? Whose image do you reflect? I mean, you reflect the image of God. And so what do we owe God? I mean, we owe God more than taxes. We owe him our very lives. So when he says, render under Caesar that which is Caesar's, taxes. But really, it's the deal is your whole life because you reflect his image. Pay your taxes. Be respectful. Uh, the next thing he says in verse 7, uh, be respectful to those who deserve it and those who don't. I mean, I, I, it's amazing. Uh, since I've been alive my 47 years, uh, some people I vote for get to the White House. Some people I don't uh, vote for get there. And you say things like this, well, you respect the office. And I can't believe how many Americans say, well, you can't respect the office. Look at the guy. I mean, how do you respect that? Well, if we, if we read... Romans 13, how did that person get in the Oval Office? Yes, electoral college votes and all that stuff. But really, according to Scripture, and here's a mystery, there is no authority that hasn't been established by God. 
So therefore, we respect the office because we respect the one who put him there. And that is our God. Show honor. Show honor. That was number seven. Again, kind of the same thing. Uh, respect and honor. Let me talk to the young people for a minute. Honor. Uh, scripture says numerous times, I think it's like six or seven at least, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Um, the ultimate authority that God has put in your life, young people, is your parents. You are there by design. Ten years of student ministry, I got a lot of complaints about parents. Ten years of student ministry, I heard, well, you won't believe what my dad does, or you won't believe what my mom makes me do. And my response was always the same. God, put your parents over you. You have a hard time with your parents, you're having a hard time with God. I know it's not always easy, but all authority, honor them. Not just the young people, but for us as well. Now, the question I'm not going to spend a long time on, but we have to ask as Christians is this. When do we not just submit? I mean, you could take this to the point and say, shouldn't Christians have stood up to Hitler? I mean, shouldn't we have done more as a Christians to stand up to evil? When an earthly ruler is leading us into sinful behavior that's clearly sinful. For, let's, go, let's use an example. We believe that abortion is wrong because it's a, uh, it's a taking of the image of God. It's a taking of a life. We don't have that right. And if, the country, if our country dictated to us one child and after that you've got to abort it, we've got to fight. We've got to say, no way. We cannot stand for this. We fight now everything we have to, to, uh, to abolish ab- abortion. We do it legally. But they're not forcing us to do it. So, and I don't know, there's a thin line there. I mean, again, it's just, I wish I could tell you this is the actual formula where Christians say enough's enough. But the bottom line is, Jesus didn't tell us more specifically in his word. But we know that when, he, when a leader is clearly contradicting God's word and leading us into sinful behavior, forcing us away from our worship of a triune God, that's when we uh, uh, have to stand. All right, let me uh, transition to being a good citizen of heaven. But let me make a statement that I think is really important for all of us. We need to get this, folks. Our American or earthly citizenship has basically no effect on our heavenly citizenship. Jesus doesn't love us more because we're Americans. There's not some special place in God's heart because... We are red, white, and blue. It's true. We're not. When you look at, we are very special as his people, but we look at the end of the story. I mean, God's story has always been that he is going to gather to himself from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group. He's going to gather them all for his glory as a part of one unified, beautiful family. And so the reality is, is that being a, an American Christian really has very little or no effect on our citizenship in heaven, other than some beautiful outworking things like we can worship freely, can we not? And some nice kind of perks. But the reality is this, our heavenly citizenship should impact everything about our American citizenship. Our heavenly citizenship should impact every single thing about our lives here on earth. It's true. 
Be a good citizen of heaven is the second point. Let's look at the first thing with that is the priority of the kingdom of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 on the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus says this, But seek first, seek the primary, seek of most importance, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, which were, by the way, clothes and food and what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. I mean, these are even the, the pedestrian, mundane things of life. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You see, there's a priority of the kingdom. Here's what it's saying, church. The pursuit of God's kingdom, the pursuit of God's glory, the pursuit of the rule and reign of Jesus as Lord of lords and King of kings should be primary in everything that we do. The pursuit of the American dream is not. The pursuit of the American dream and all that it can tell us of how we find our life, liberty, and happiness there is not our primary pursuit. Our primary pursuit in God's eyes in His kingdom is His Son. Seek ye first. I tell you, I think we just blow by that so easy. I mean, I think that there's probably not a Christian here that's been a Christian more than 24 hours that doesn't understand that God's going to say something about seek first the primacy of the kingdom of God. But I think we've been bamboozled. Because I think most of us in the Western world are truly not seeking first kingdom values. Or at least in the minimum, our, our American dreams or our American values, are they not in com- competition with kingly, kingly values, the kingdom of God? Are we not in an amazing battle right now? It's true. It's amazing. And I think the, the, what the enemy would love to do is not have the priority of the kingdom. What does that really mean in our lives? Listen, the values of the kingdom of God should be our pursuit and our priority. The values, thy kingdom come. All right, be a good citizen of heaven, the priority of the kingdom. Second thing is the practicality of the kingdom. Let's look again at Matthew. Matthew 6, the same passage, but we're going to pick up at the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says something very interesting, and we're talking about not only the priority of the kingdom, now it's the practicality of where. Where do we live this out? And Jesus teaches his disciples and us how to pray, saying in verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. On earth, on earth. So the practicality of this heavenly citizenship, get this, this is not just life insurance for the time that we get there. This is reality for living for now. So what is it saying? It's on earth, we have always been called as God's people to fill the earth with God's glory. That's our purpose. Let me speak this practically. Wherever your feet hit the ground, that is where you're to be a good citizen of heaven. Wherever your feet hit the ground, that is where you're to be a good citizen of heaven. In your homes, in your parenting. Uh, in the classroom, in your work cubicle, um, wherever you are, on the ball field, wherever you go, 
your priority is to live for God's glory. Say, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done right here, Lord. Right here in my relationship with my son or daughter. Thy will be done right here with my relationship with my spouse. Thy will be done right here with my relationship with my boss. Thy will be done right here with my relationship with my neighbor. Thy will be done. You see, the reality is is this citizenship of heaven affects everything. It should permeate everything wherever we go. Philippians 3.20 again says, Our citizenship in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the reality of where we are. We're a people in waiting for the day of the Lord. i got one more passage I'd like to look to. Let's look at 2 Peter. Verses, uh, 2 Peter 3, verses 11 through 13. Peter is telling uh, the... He's telling us basically that the Lord is going to return and and how we are to live and what will happen when Jesus comes back. I mean, Paul says that we are a people in waiting. And listen to what 2 Peter 3 uh, verses, I'm going to pick up in verse 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Wow. Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, I love this question because we know what's coming. What sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness? We're going to look at those. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. It's so cool that God has called us to do two things. Wait for it and make it happen quicker. Hasten it, the day of the Lord. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It says that we're to be a people waiting on the Lord. It means this, anticipating the kingdom to come. We are to anticipate that this is not at all that God has to offer for us. There's more. There's a time coming with no more tears. There's a time coming with no sorrow. There's a time coming where we can't even sin. Don't you long for that? There's a time coming that He will be with us and we will see Him. And you're ready for this? We will be like Him. There is the kingdom to come. And when Jesus comes, it will come in its fullness. And now we're waiting for the really good stuff to come. But it says this, in the meantime, live lives of holiness. As I studied that word holiness, a translation of this is this, separate from common condition or use. Holiness. Here's the whole listen to that. Separate from common condition or use. God doesn't want you to be common. Uncommon. As a citizen of heaven. And I think this is the most practical way to understand this. Listen. When God calls you to be holy, he's saying this. Do the do the common things in a really uncommon way. Do the common things of, of loving your spouse or your children. The common things of being a good neighbor. Do the common things of, of work and life and, and, and pursuits. Do the common things in an amazingly uncommon way that reveals your citizenship in heaven. That shows to all those around you that you serve a king named Jesus that his priorities are your priorities, that his reign and rule is true in your life. Do the common things, the next thing. That's all that God is asking you to do. Be you in love with him. 
living for him, nothing more. That's holiness. Do common things in an uncommon way for the glory of Christ as you wait. Wait anticipating the kingdom to come. That's the people waiting. But the next thing, I just love this. We're people hastening the day of the Lord. You know, um, there was a season in the church called the Puritans. And they get a lot of bad rap. And they did some things that probably deserve some of their bad rap. But these Puritans were called Puritans the way they lived their life in holiness. And here's what they thought. They really thought this. They spurred one another on to holiness and doing the right thing. They said, you know what? If we read 2 Peter, it says that we quicken the day of the Lord. If we share our faith with the world, or at least our neighbor, if we live our lives doing the common thing in an uncommon way, Jesus will come back quicker. Let's hasten the kingdom. Let's, let's, let's live under kingdom values now. And then really, there was a movement saying that this is what we got to do. A little uh, blurb on church history. World War II kind of ended that hope. Saying, I don't think it's going to get any better. But the reality is this. God has called us to live holy lives. Hastening the day of the Lord. I don't know completely what that means. But I do know this. It means advancing Christ's kingdom. It means that God has called you right now to advance the kingdom that is here. See, it's a weird paradox for us Christians. The kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. We got to wait for it, but we also got to advance it. That's what's called being a good citizen of heaven. You wait for more, and yet you live in a way that advances uh, the kingdom right now. And now here's how you do it in lives of holiness for the last one. This is living uh, lives of godliness, it says. Let me give you a definition I think is easy to understand for godliness with awesome respect given to God. With awesome respect given to God. That's godliness. Live your lives with awesome respect of a God who is, and a God who loves, but a God who's in control of all things. Live your life with awesome respect giving, uh, given to God. You know, Peter says one of the hardest things to me and to us, just to me, um, in 2 Peter 1. You know what he says in 2 Peter 1, about 3? He says, because of this good news of the gospel, he says that God has given us everything we need to live godly lives. Really? God has given us, in Christ Jesus, the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, everything we need to live godly lives. I mean, sometimes I want to really argue with that. How come I'm not more godly? If I got everything I need, what in the world's going on? Well, here's what he says for us with godliness. Uh, that we are to uh, pursue it. We are to pursue godliness, First uh, Timothy 6, 11. Uh, that we are to train ourselves to be godly, First Timothy 4, 7. It says that godliness has value for all things, in this life and the life to come, First Timothy 4, 8. It tells us that we're to flee uh, from unrighteousness. The, and here's, I love this, First Timothy 6, 6 says, godliness with contentment is great gain. To live a life in the kingdom of God, by the grace of God, through the work of Christ Jesus. To live a life and do the the common things in an uncommon way. To live a life with great respect for God. He says, that 
and being content is great gain. Memorial Day is a poignant reminder of our citizenship here on earth, and we celebrate the sacrifice for those who said that we could be American citizens. But again, every day as Christians, we're to remember the sacrifice of Jesus to make us citizens of heaven. And now we get the privilege of living that citizenship here on earth. You know, we have some great deacons. I hope you know that. I got a call from one of our our deacons, actually uh, the head of our deacons, uh, Ed Kent. And he said, Jeff, uh, next week is, uh, as you know, communion. And we do our deacons fund after communion. For those of you who might be guests, our deacons fund is a fund we take. It doesn't have anything to do with our offering. It just has to do with those who are hurting in our midst that we want to try to help out. And he said, Jeff, let's, let's, let's take next week's deacons fund and give it to a church that's been ravaged through the storms of Oklahoma. I said, that is a great idea. Let's do it. So it comes next week, all right? And we're going to take every nickel that, that we give and say, we want to be good citizens here on earth. We want to care about those who are going through that struggle. But we also want to be good citizens of God in heaven and do good. Uh, We want to be good citizens and bring glory to our great God and realize that we want to do common things in an uncommon way and live holy lives. We want to live our lives with amazing respect to God. We want to live our lives waiting for the kingdom to come, but, but advancing the kingdom it is here. And we want to do it wherever our feet hit the ground. Let's pray. Father, we do celebrate the freedom we have here in this country. But the truth is, sometimes we celebrate that freedom more passionately than we celebrate the freedom that Jesus earned for us on the hill of Calvary, on that cross, that old rugged cross. God, you have clearly said in your word that we're to be a good citizen of earth. But God, you have equally and more clearly told us that our priority has to be the kingdom of God. And it has to be practical right here where our feet hit the earth. That we would be people that would say, thy kingdom come as we wait and advance it. Thy will be done right here on earth. Right here in my shoe leather. Right here in my life. On earth as it is in heaven. Because we are the only ones as your people who have this amazing dual citizenship of both being a citizen of earth, but more importantly, a citizen of heaven. And oh, how we long for the day where that citizenship is stamped and we have the ability of free and clear access to Jesus face to face, and we will be like him. Thank you for that hope, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.